I was going to bring out or try to cover, I might cover one. I've got a book here. You want to know why I carry a lot of pages? I can't read. Well, I can't see. I had to get up pretty close anymore. Anyway, the questions that I have is, the first question is, why are we here at Anathoth? Why are you here? And you really need to think about that. And I have a, working on the sermon, but many times over the past few years, I thought, why am I really here? And the other is, why does the Feast of Tabernacles, what does, it, what does the Feast of Tabernacles mean to me? I, as I was working on this, I got to thinking, I, I've now kept the Feast of Tabernacles this year, makes it my 56th year. I've kept atonement in trumpets 57 years. My, my little beautiful baby daughter that was with me, she kept it 57 years too. But she was only in, she was walking, and my other baby daughter was only about a month old. So, anyway, in those years, it, the feast meant a lot. Because when we started keeping the feast in uh, 1964, we kept it in Big Sandy. And for the next 10 years, we kept in Big Sandy. And it was like a family to, to me. I mean, you had your ups and downs, you know. You might have a rainstorm. You could get cold. Um, you could... Uh, have sick babies. Uh, you could get sick. Uh, we had two sermons every day and a Bible study on Fridays. So we kept pretty busy. But in between, we were able to fellowship with each other. We were able to... It was really a, like a family relationship. You could walk any place in the tent area. I know there were other people were not in tents, but those that were tenting, you could walk around and stop in. They offer you a cup of coffee or a glass of wine or a sandwich or steak. All these times. But then in 1975, my wife, Charlotte, wanted to, uh, to go to Florida, so we transferred to St. Pete. St. Pete was great. But for me, it was a huge turning point in my life. Because I was used to being able to fellowship with people every place. You know, and we were all friends and like family. When I got to St. Pete, it was crowded. Five, six, seven. And I think the most we had was 15,000 one year. It was crowded. And it was hard to get in because of the traffic. So I was the one that said, I told my wife, kids had no choice, we'll go early. We always got there fairly before most people did. And we waited till most people were gone because traffic getting in and out was horrible. But what bothered me the most about going to St. Pete was you felt you were... In a family at services, and then you were on your own. I don't care if you went to Bush Gardens 
uh, Disney World or one of the other attractions and you could have gone with other people, you were still alone. You didn't have that relationship that you we built in Big Sandy. And it wasn't until, um, really until we moved here into Anatoth and started keeping the feast here, that we didn't really start to see a family relationship again. If those that were that are here that maybe can remember back when we went to uh, uh, Jerusalem for the feast, you know, not the Middle East, but Jerusalem here in this country. And that was a spectacular feast. Well, we had our difficulties. It was cold, and and uh, and there were some spits and spits. But that's a family relationship. They have any spits and spits. But it was great. Then we had feasts here in on on Anatoth, and we'd circle the wagons out there. Uh, all those things have changed. So for me, I came asking to myself. Why did I even come out here to Utah, to Arizona? I had to ask myself that and got to thinking about it. If I remember back, and I was going to go look at the sermon, so I went online. I didn't put them online yet. During the Feast of Tabernacles 2001, Daryl had a series of sermons. He covered a, a lot of what he had. He had a vision, a vision of bringing people together in a in the mid, in the West, in the West. And he covered these things. And of course, I'm kind of dense, so I didn't catch the the drift of it. Even though we had talked in that we'd gone over to. Uh, uh, switch back and had meals over there, and but it, during the last sermon that I gave, as I was speaking, it was like a light bulb come on. What am I doing? I mean, I've heard all these sermons of of what had to be, especially coming out of this world, and I said, I'm going to move out here. And I looked at my wife, and she looked, her mouth dropped open because I hadn't discussed it with her. But it was, it was like an opening, my mind opened to, I had to move from where I was living. So I got my first point is, why did I come out here? Why did you come out here? What brought you to this area? Whether it be to the feast today, feast last year, or even to this area. Part of what was brought out, and I don't know how many times it was brought out during that feast, was Revelation 18.4. And I think that's one of the key points that hit me. It's a scripture most people remember. God says to us, uh, Paul, I mean, John writing, uh, as he was inspired to write, Revelation 18.4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. And I'm thinking, 
and that probably what it had happened, it hit me that, that I need to make a change in my life. I need to come out of what I was doing and, and make a change. And for me, I was a family man. I was with my, most of my children uh, in Florida, my friends, uh, my job, uh, my home, uh, all these things. You know, we had just bought a, a new small home. We had left a, we had a, a huge home. Five bedrooms, three bathrooms, two kitchens, two laundry rooms, two living rooms. It was more than she could handle. And we had just bought a small 900 square foot house with a beautiful swimming pool. And I go to the feast in 2001 and, and God inspired through Daryl. I got to leave all that stuff and come out here. And part of that was due to Revelation 18.4. So I got to looking up Jeremiah 50 verse 8. So it's not just in, it wasn't just here in, uh, in Revelation 18, but it was, it's also in Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 8. It says, remove out of the midst of Babylon. Well, you've heard the sermons, did a whole series of sermons on Babylon, but the whole thing was remove out of Babylon. For where I was in where I was involved, I was in Babylon. And those scriptures mean more to me than just, uh, I gave up a lot. And so did you give up a lot. So you have to think about that. And go forth out of the midst of the Chaldeans and be you as the he-goat before the flock. Well, the he-goats they used to uh, lead the sheep around. And I think at that feast, I don't remember, but I think one of the comments that was made was, we are here as um, a, a setup crew. When it, it was, so we became the setup crew. So we were like the he goat. We're going to be the setup crew for the thing is going to come. And the, the sermons the intent, the, the closeness of the people. We thought we were going to have six, seven thousand, fifteen thousand people here within a couple of years. <laughs> but it didn't happen in a couple of years. So I let that. So I go again to Jeremiah, another place. So it's not just, you know, let's take a look at a few of these. Jeremiah 51, verse 6, says, flee out of the midst of Babylon again. Jeremiah was inspired by God to write that. And deliver every man his soul. So it was, to me it is, it's my responsibility to, to do my part. You know, I can ask God to do a lot of things, but I have to do something too. When God told Abraham to leave his country, what did Abraham do? Okay, you're going to protect me, you're going to bless me, you're going to give me all these things, and I'm going to sit here and wait. 
Well, I guess I'll wait for you to move me, God. No, he had to do something. So when I read this and said, deliver my soul, that means I got to put something into it. I got to put some effort and energy into this, too, and be not cut off or be not cut off in her iniquity in the problems that's coming to this country. And we see that more so now than ever before. The country is going down. For this is the time of the eternal's vengeance. Yes, it was said back. Jeremiah said that. We said that in 2000, 2001, 2003, 2005, 2010, 2015. Today, we're, all, we're so much closer to God's vengeance coming on. And He will render unto her to who? To this country, to the world, their recompense to what they have done. One more. Jeremiah 51, verse 45. Where Jeremiah continued to say, My people, go out of the midst of her and deliver every man his soul from hence, from the fierce anger of the eternal. We have to do something. So I sat there and said, well, why did, I, why did I come out here? Because I believe God says, get out and do something about what you're told to do. You know, God will tell us. He'll lead us. He gives us messages. He gives us inspiration. He gives us guidance. Uh, we can't just sit back and say, well, that's good. Maybe he'll, well, it does say, doesn't it, that God's going to take us out on the wings of eagles. Uh, I mean, we're going to, a bunch of, bunch of eagles are going to come and pick us up and carry us away. No, you're going to have to do something too. Turn over to Isaiah, and I'm going to read Isaiah 48, 16 from the New Living Translation. Isaiah 48, verse 16. And now the sovereign God and his spirit has sent me this message. So here Isaiah is saying, the eternal God gave us this message. And this is the message, verse 17, that the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, says, I am the eternal, your God, who teaches you what is good and leads you along the path that you should follow. So God is telling us through Isaiah, he told us to get out of Babylon, to flee, to go someplace, and I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you what I expect you to do. So I'm going to teach you. Oh, that you had listened to my commands. Then you would have uh, had peace. Following, flowing like a gentle river, and righteousness rolling like the waves. And then would you have become a numerous as the sands of the sea. So, God is going to teach you. But He brought us out from that. And I'm sitting thinking, why am I out here? I had to get out from Babylon. I had to get out from whatever thing I was doing. 
because God wanted to teach me. And I couldn't learn it back there if I'm so tied to my family, to my job, to my house, to the things I do. If I'm so tied to that, how can I learn? How can I be taught? Again, turn to first, uh, Second Chronicles verse, chapter 6. And again, from, I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. Second uh, Corinthians, I'll get it right. Second Corinthians six fourteen. Second Corinthians six fourteen through eighteen from the New Living Translation. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. <laughs> Let me tell you, uh, when you're living back in the world, you really. You don't think you are, but so many times you find yourself pretty close to teaming up with people that are not believers of what God has taught you. How can goodness be a partner with wickedness? How can the light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? And you have to understand, when you were living in the world, uh, Satan's hand was everywhere. And we see it even more so than that now. How can a believer be partners with the unbelievers? Verse 16, and what union can there be between God's temple and idols? We are God's temple. We have His Spirit. For we are the temple of the living God. God has said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them. Get away from the world. Paul was inspired to write that. And separate yourselves from them, says the eternal. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you, and I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the eternal God. God wanted us to leave where we were before, and many of us moved out here in 2001, 2002, we built this piece of property. This wasn't built because Daryl had the money. It was Daryl. This property, this place was built because of God. We searched Utah. And nothing came true. But one person who was out here read a newspaper, and found an ad, but didn't do anything for two months or three months. And Daryl went down and checked it out. Of course, Daryl being a negotiator like he is, he thought, I'll really take care of this. I'm going to, this sounds like too good to to have. He's going to negotiate this thing. I'm going to go out there and and see first, and it was $300,000. Well, see, average is about $30,000 down payment, 10% or more. 
So here, Daryl's the great negotiator, goes down there and he says, I'm going to negotiate this. So let's see what we can do for a down payment. And the guy says, 5000 Kind of blew his socks off, didn't it? <laughs> that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. So he said, I will negotiate really good. I'm going to negotiate for uh, uh, what percent you're going to have to pay. He'll probably have to pay. He'll probably want 20%. So Daryl couldn't even, he couldn't even negotiate that. The guy said, I'll just take 5%. <laughs> Where'd that come from? So is this property because Daryl? A lot of people think that. They accuse him. He didn't do it. He got a dream, a vision, and God did it. God told you to leave. You, came, you did your part, but God opened your minds and brought you here. God brought you out here for a purpose, though. He's always done that. He's always brought people out to the middle of nowhere. And as I read earlier, for what purpose? He wanted to teach you. Look at Exodus, uh, Israel, we'll say. It, just look at Israel. What was, what was the whole point? God was going to protect his people, but what was he doing with them? What did he tell them? Leave Egypt. Come out of Egypt. Well, they balked at it. They balked at it. He went to Moses and Aaron went to uh, Pharaoh, and what did they say? Verse, Exodus 7, verse 16 says, And talking, Moses talking to Pharaoh, king, the head of the whole country. And God said to Moses, he said, And you shall say unto him, to Pharaoh, the eternal God of the Hebrews has sent me to you and saying, let my people go. Let them go. Let them get out of here. That they may serve me in the where? In the mountains or in the cities? No. In the wilderness. So when I looked at this, it was nothing out here. I think Daryl can look back. And when we first went out, I was talking to Dennis and said they sat down there at the corner of of Liberty Lane and and looked at this area and there was there was so much out here there was tumbleweeds um, rabbit bush and one tree one tree there was nothing out here this was a wilderness and God brought us here for what purpose to teach us to teach you Another example, and this is one of the things that I see as, as maybe a point, a sub-point, was we're brought here to be taught. An ex- another example, is, and, and there's many, many examples, and I just picked out two, was that of Elijah. Remember, Elijah was a man with a lot of, of uh, things that he did for God. As God directed. He did miracles. He shut the rain off for three and a half years. And when God said it, he turned the rain back on. 
He did a lot of things. And remember the big one when they got everybody together on Mount Carmel. And they brought all the priests of Baal and the people. And they chose, they chose the, the sacrifice. And Elijah took what was left. They worked all day. And he chided them and all that. And they could not. I don't think they could have got their fire going if they had gasoline. It just didn't happen. And God, and then Elijah just made one short prayer. God took the sacrifice. All of that. He showed these powers. They killed all these people. And what happened next? Jezebel threatened his life. So what did Elijah do? Elijah ran. Now, here's a man that was really a a God-man. He'd done a lot of things, and he ran. And so we're going to pick up the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. He feared his life, and he had witnessed and, and done these miracles. And because Jezebel, who... Is nothing. Remember when when Moses was up there talking to God, he said, I can't do nothing. I can't even talk. And God said, who made mouth? Who made people? Who made anything? So God made Elijah what he was. So here in 1 Kings 19, verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So here, Elijah fled from Jezebel, he went a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested of himself that he might die. Oh, myself, I, you know, I've done all these things and now you're going to let Jezebel kill me. I just as well die. Seems like I, I know somebody else that said that same thing, don't you, Jonah? I might, you know, I was will die. Is it enough now, eternal? He's talking to God. Is it now enough? Take away my life, for I am for I am not better than my father. Pitied himself, like Jonah. Pitied himself because he didn't get his way. Verse five. And as he laid there and slept under the juniper tree, behold, an angel came and touched him and said, "Get up and eat." And he looked, and behold, there was cake baked on a coal. I mean, he went to sleep. He had nothing. But he woke up, and here's food, a a carafe of water at his head. And he he did what he said. He got up, ate, drank, and then he laid back down and went to sleep again. Then the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise, get up and eat. Because the journey is too far. God was going to take Elijah someplace. He wanted to teach him a lesson. He took him away from where he was. And he arose and did eat and drink and went straight for the for the meet 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. And I think about that. Um, two days is awful long to go without food. 
I've tried it three times, three days once, and it's pretty tough. Forty days he left with the food that he had eaten, and he went to Horeb. And he came unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Well, I'm sure Elijah could have said, Because you told me to come. (laughs) But that's not the case. We know the rest of the story that God uh, had him in this cave and he brought us a tornado. He brought a hurricane. He brought all this power and stuff and said to him in a small voice, what are you doing here? In other words, God taught him that he is the guy in charge. So in my study over the years and my understanding and what happened in 2001, I got to seeing that God wanted me to come away from where I was. And that's what he wants from you. He didn't want you to live in the cities. And just as I learned that the Feast of Tabernacles in St. Pete was not the Feast of Tabernacles. Oh, I learned things in St. Pete. The biggest thing I learned was you're not part of a family if you're by yourself. I had my family there. I had eight children, a mother-in-law. But the only time you had fellowship in St. Pete was before and after services. Well, before services because during the last song it was mass exodus. So, I mean, I didn't see that before. That was such an upsetting thing to me. And what I missed was the family. I missed the family relationship, the friendship, the being together. So my first part of coming, uh, of, of being here in Anatol and being here at the feast was I had to get away from everything that I had set as primary goals for me. My family, my friends, my job, my house, uh, everything that seemed to be, this is what I want, this is what I should be. So that brings me to the, the second point, I would say point B of, of why I came out here. And that was to have a church family. And like I said earlier, when we first came out here and we put this together, it wasn't Daryl. It was God. God brought people here. It was God who opened the minds up. Yeah, God gave Daryl the directions. What did he do with Moses? God gave Moses the directions. Moses only did what God said. What did Noah do? Noah built a boat. He believed God, but he did it, but it was by God's direction. So I found the second reason, main reason, that I'm here is for a church family. And I've talked to a lot of people who have the same feelings. And when we first came out here, 
we were a family. This was nothing but a, a field with a ditch going through it and a tree. And now we look out here, we have buildings, we have tons of trees, and a lot of people. So, what is the value then of a church family? And maybe that's an important point that I want to bring out. What makes this place a church family? And I have, I think, four sub-points to show that this is a church family. The first sub-point of why I'm here to have a church family is what is a church family? What, what does that mean to me? A church family means to me, number one, primarily, is we can worship together like we are today. We're here. We can worship our father, our elder brother, our soon-to-be husband, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. So we're here to worship God. Darrell pointed it out yesterday a lot that we worship God through singing. In Psalm 34, verse 3, David wrote, O magnify the eternal with, with me, and let us exalt his name together. So, we're here worshiping God by magnifying God's name. In song, in fellowship, Psalm 66, verse 8. Oh, bless our God, you people, and make the voice of praise be heard. Again, Daryl pointed out all these, all these songs that we sing, uh, the beautiful music that we get, special music. And when we sing songs together, Revelation 14, verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him. When we're together in a service, we're giving God glory. We can share our relationships that way and worship Him that made heaven and earth, the sea, and the foundations of the waters. So, when we're together in Sabbath services or Feast of Tabernacles or Day of Atonement or Trumpets, the Holy Days of God, Pentecost, Unleavened Bread, Passover, uh, Night to be Much Remembered, Passover Night. I'm sorry, I don't go along with the 15th. <laughs> Revelation 19.5 And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, and you that fear Him, both small and great. So, to me, one part of, the, of a church family is being able to, to come and worship God in the same mind, in the same place, on the same page. The second point of of a church family, what it makes to me, what it means to me, is to work together. 
when we started this project here, God's project, we worked together. We had little kids. We had young adults, middle-aged people, and old people. And we all worked together. We, we, we spent the time together. The first uh, was four trailers, I think. And the first power that was put on this property was over at Al Terry's place. And we, we circled the wagons over there. And then we went to work day and night when it took it. But we worked together. We put our, our, our family relationship together. Romans 8, verse 28. Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God to them who are called according to His purpose. We were called out here. And we're called out here for God's purpose. And if we work together, we can accomplish a lot of things. And we did accomplish a lot. We put a water line in. Little kids were down there helping putting these pipes together. There is right close to 4,300 feet of four-inch pipe that was put in in this property. And it was done through work and play, I guess, together. But... The effort of everybody. It wasn't griping and complaining. It was just, you know, some of the pipes didn't want to go together very good. So we had some of the kids holding a block of wood and somebody with a hammer and swacking it and driving it forward. So there's a lot of work and effort went into that. We put in the roads. We we marked the property off. I remember uh, kids and adults going back and forth across this thing and measuring it out every 288 feet in every direction and setting up the setting up the network of how the property would be laid out and putting in roads so we worked together and it was like I told my children many times as they were growing up little kids and and this is what happened here I told my kids my children, whatever you find to do, put your heart and effort into it. And that's what we were doing here. A family together, we put a lot of effort and energy into it. And for me, today, being here, as we are as a family, uh, when things get, have to be done, we try to work together. We had a well go out, or been out. We put it back in service. But what, what took it? It took effort and energy of four people who pitched in and worked and spent four hours. But they worked together, and they enjoyed it. We had somebody take the garbage away today because we worked together. We help each other out that way. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10, probably a memorized scripture. It says, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or 
advice or knowledge or wisdom in the grave, whether we're going to go. So one of you have something to do, and that's what's happened here. As a church family, as a church family, we have to put our life into it. Again, in Colossians 3, 20, uh, 23, and whatever, soever you do, do it heartily to the Lord. So we did this work. We put things together. Our church family, and we do that today as our church family, we, we do it because it is Christ who is the, is the boss. So maybe we have a man or some cases a woman, and, and they are telling us to do something, but we should do the work, whatever is given to us, as if it was Christ doing it. Remember what it says in Matthew 25? Whatever you do to other people, the way you treat other people, the way you work with or not work with is the way you do to Christ. So Christ is saying we have to become a family and work together and work as if it was Christ who was the director of it. Another thing I told my children as they were growing up and I saw that happening here is whatever we can do or you can do as much as you want or as little as you want. So no matter what the project is, you can help out and put your heart into it, or you can sit back and just be the director, or just bitch and moan because they don't do it your way. <laughs> That's what it gets to. But what God says is we work for each other and help each other. Sometimes I look at that and I said, well, yeah. I, I look at myself as a giving, caring, loving person. And um, I find that not all of you see me the same way. Because I see me from inside me. And I see me as a, as a family member. As a loving, I, I want to work. I want to work hard. I'm doing. I do the. I do all the work. I'm, I'm kind of a person that feels that um, I can. I'm the only one that can do it anyway. But I see you look at me from a total different perspective, and sometimes your perspective of me is not the same thing that my perspective of me is. But hey, I'm a good guy anyway, so. Just ask me, honey. I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll relate a, a couple instances that kind of re, that show that. As a beekeeper in Florida, I used to get pretty tired moving bees, mostly by myself, and get hungry. And there was a spot down in Chukaluski where, or Ochapi rather, in Ochapi where I put the bees, and there was this. Great looking orange tree. It had big oranges on it. So one day I was kind of down and out, and I thought, well, I need to get a lift. So I went over to that orange tree. Big oranges on there. Bright, 
orange colored and uh, they had to be great. Their tree was fantastic. And I picked the orange off and I peeled that back and I pulled a section out and I put that orange section in my mouth and I felt like my mouth turned inside out because it was the most sour thing possible. So from my perspective, looking at the tree, it was great. But what was inside was not as good as what was. And basically, it's pretty, it's pretty hard to put yourself down too far. You, know, you just don't do that. The other instance was Christ, the disciples. You know, here they were out. He was teaching them. They were walking through the, the field or as it was. Uh, and in the distance, Christ saw this fantastic fig tree. He liked figs. Now, I like fig newtons, but he liked figs. And he was hungry. And he saw the fig tree and said, let's go over and get some figs. We'll get a handful of figs. We'll get re-energized, you know, and we'll get the food. And they got up there and there wasn't a fig in it. And you know the story. He cursed the tree. Sometimes we think we're spiritually, we're part of the spiritual family. We think we are really top-notch spiritually from inside. But what God sees could be a tree with no fruit or bad fruit. So it behooves us to do the best we can, do the work we can, work the best we can, and work as much as you can. And if you don't want to do it, hey, Ananias and Sapphira, we heard that story too the past couple weeks. Ananias and Sapphira, they uh, they did what they could, what they felt they could, what they actually wanted to do, wasn't it? And they, they gave as much as they wanted, not as much as they should. So, yes, if we have the opportunity as a family member, we need to work and help and do what we can. There was one other story that I wanted to show you that as which depends on how much you want to work and what you can do and what you can't do. There was an Olympic runner. He ran hurdles, high hurdles. He was good. He ran a lot of races up to the Olympics to get to the Olympics. He won races all the time. He got to the World Olympics. He wanted the gold. That was his goal. The gold. I'm going to be get the gold. He ran the race. He got the silver. And he got discouraged. I worked. I did all my work up to this point. And I just didn't get the gold. I did all these things. He went home down and out because he only got the silver. He didn't get the gold. And he was getting close to 30. And um, so he just was down and out. But a friend came to him and told him that story that, you can do as much as you want or as little as you want. 
And so this Olympic runner said, oh, you're right. You're right. I can do more. And so for the next few years to the next Olympics, he trained night and day, all the time, hard, really pushed it hard, ran other races, won other races, really worked hard. He is now close to 35. He's going to be the oldest runner in the Olympics. But he had a goal. He's going to do as much as he could. And he ran the race and won it. He won the gold because he wanted that. He wanted that that object for him. But he not only won the race, but he set new standards because he had trained that hard. That goes for you and for me. If we have the opportunity to be a part of this family, we have to put, we have to set that goal of being that, of that family. Our goal, our gold is the kingdom of God. Our gold is the bride of Christ. It's how much you want it. How much will you work in this family to be, to get that goal? The third point to being a church family. In a church family, you need to support each other. And that's a, that's a real good goal because we all have shortnesses. Someplace, somewhere down the line. As I get older, I can look back at age 45. I was able to throw 90 pounds, boxes of honey up to just over my head because I learned how to do it and I was able to do it. Now if I pick up 20 pounds, it's heavy. And I did pick up a couple weeks ago a couple bags of 80-pound bags and it was struggle. And I hurt for three or four days later because it's a lot of work. More than I can do. More than I can do. So, I had support. I worked on this red truck over here. I worked two days, three hours, two days to find one bolt. Couldn't find it. So, I get a friend. And I say, I got to get this bolt out. You know what? He did it in 15 minutes. Do I feel bad? No, I feel great because he could do it in 15 minutes. <laughs> but he was able to support me. And I'm really thankful and appreciate, I really appreciate that help. Repairing that well, getting it back in service. I appreciate the help that was there because I can't do it by myself. So I have people that support me. Uh, Daryl, as the pastor, needs your support. You know, there's even a scripture, and I don't I don't know if I've got it here or not, that tells you to the person that's teaching you that you should go and support them. Tell them what, what, how well it was or how bad it was. I mean, hey, if you think it was bad, go up and say, hey, you did a lousy job. <laughs> Might beat you up for it, but other than that, it's okay. <laughs> At least it did. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. 
verse 1 to 10. Galatians 6, supporting each other as a family. Brethren, if a man be overtaken by a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Understand, meekness, being meek, the meek shall inherit the earth. So you find a brother or sister that's having a difficulty, you go and help them, support them. Consider yourself too. You know, don't go up there and think you're the greatest. you got to consider yourself because it might happen to you. It might happen to you. Bear one another's burdens. Sometimes the, the things that we get ourselves into become so difficult, it's hard for us to carry it. You know, you, you just can't do it yourself. So we help each other. We bear each other's burdens. We help each other in that way. For if a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, remember what I said earlier? I am the greatest, but I'm really nothing. I might be so sour inside, it's pathetic. <laughs> but let every man prove his own works. You prove what the Scripture says. It is your responsibility as a person to prove what you understand, what you know, where you are, and why you want to be a part of this family. Prove your own work. And then shall you have rejoicing in yourself. So if you can say to yourself, you can rejoice that I got this job and I did it. And you can thank yourself. You don't have to worry about somebody patting you on the back because you were able to do it. For every man shall bear his own burdens. Let him that is taught, this is where I was, okay, here's where I was thinking. Let him that is taught uh, in word communicate unto him that teaches in all good things. So here's where we're told by God through the Apostle Paul. Go up and thank them for the teaching. Maybe sometimes we're hard on each other. But maybe we can still be thankful if we got the right teaching, if we've got things that are helping us and helping us to be a part of the family. If you're a family member and you're having a difficulty, go there and help them out. Help them to resolve their problems. Where is it, James? Uh, if you, your brother sin, sin and you were able to go to them and guide them and show them and help them make the change. You've saved a person. You've got somebody back on the way to eternal life. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that he'll reap. The way you work, the tree, you know, that tree was sowed in sour oranges. The other tree was sowed with no figs. Uh, Whatever you sow, your work, your effort, your support will tell who you are. So, I see me this way, but what does my work show? He that sows to the flesh, 
is going to reap the flesh and reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall reap uh, life everlasting, eternal life, part of the bride of Christ. And what? And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we don't faint. Don't give up. Don't allow somebody to take your crown. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's more than you think you can bear. But God also said he won't put anything on you you can't bear. So if you get something pretty hard, you have to sit back and say, "Uh, God knows I can do it. I have to say, I can do it. And if I need help and you're a brother or sister, you can go and give him a hand. Give him a hand. Third point, the last point. In a church family, you serve each other. Oh, that's a difficulty. Sometimes we just don't want to do serving. Yet I've had a lot of people help me and serve me. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Remember Matthew 25? If you serve other people, you're serving Christ. You're serving the Father. Philippians 2, verse 4. Philippians 2, verse 4. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if, there, if any comfort of love, If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same mind or the same love, being of one accord of one mind, and let nothing be done through strife. You don't go fight about it. Or vain glory. You help other people because I want to be the great guy. You don't do it because you want glory or you do it because you're fighting about it. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better themselves. Sometimes it's difficult. I've found that out many times. Somebody needed help. I considered at that time... That they were not uh, worthy of my help. Because I was above them. We're not that way. I've had people help me. uh, and, And I so appreciate it. I really appreciate it greatly. And I'm not better than anybody else. I look at myself so many times as being the lowest peg on the... On the, or, or cog on a big wheel. You know. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on also on the things of others. So I do. I can't look at just my problems. I have to see people have other problems. I have to see they have problems. I have to see. I need to give to them. They're my family. And so, if you got something planned. But there's somebody else that has a need. Well, I'm planning to go to the store today. Or I'm planning to go to someplace else today. But this person needs 
a helping hand. Ah, they're not as good as me. I just won't go over there. Or do you say, that's a brother. They're hurting. That's a sister. They need help. I'm going to give them, I'm going to, I can change my things. I can help them out. So I look at, to be a part of God's family, and to be a part of this family, I want to be able to serve other people. It's difficult in my lifespan. I've had to accept people help me. And I can tell you, I, there's a couple times in my life that I really felt like I, I, I ate crow, I guess, because I had to accept the help that I a lot of times would not have accepted the help. But people in a God's family, people in my family, my physical family, would help each other when in a time of need. I know that being here in this church family, in a time of need, I'm going to help somebody. Because we're family. We're family. There's a lot of other scriptures. I'm going to skip all that. Time's running out anyway. So why am I here? Why am I here at Anatol? I came here, first of all, to be close to God. That God could teach me. I believe the scriptures point out that God takes people to the wilderness away from the world to teach them, like he did with Elijah, what he did with us what he did with with Israel. So I came here to be closer to God that he can teach me. I came here to have a spiritual family. You're my family. I have 50 people in my physical family. I, I call 50 people because my grandchildren are my children. My great-grandchildren are my children. My children are my children. Their husbands or wives are my family. You're my family. So, brothers and sisters, uh, only one father. <laughs> the rest of you, brothers, sisters, and children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. So, I'm here for a church family, and I'm here to God to teach me and help me that in the world tomorrow, I will have the understanding and the ability and the love to help somebody else who is going to be pretty down and out when they get into the world tomorrow.